every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. 79% of those that were interviewed by ActionAid say that there was no benefit from the mines at all, while 8% felt that the mine only brought negative benefits such as sickness, disposition, and damages. Only 13% felt that there were positive benefits such as clinics, roads, and employment. Most residents of eight mining communities that were surveyed by uh, Action Aid said that they derived no benefit from having a mine in their area and that its proximity only brought health and environmental problems instead. This is despite having now mining legislation and the mining charter for communities to benefit from social labor plans, which are the major drivers of corporate social responsibility. Why is this not happening? Fatima Vali, Mining and Extractives Project Manager at Action Aid South Africa, joins us on the line. Fatima, appreciate your time this morning. The sentiment here is very clear that despite the legislation, this is still not happening from those corporates. Is it a sense of not wanting to, to help communities or is there something deeper at play here? I think that's a really important question and one that's really, you know, complex and yet very simple. Um, I mean, if we just look, you know, within the social audit baseline report, we do document how government has, you know, reduced spending in terms of monitoring the implementations of the social and, and labor plans. And yet it's increased spending on trying to attract foreign investment in the sector. So that's a very clear-cut message uh, around what government prioritizes. And unfortunately, um, community is not, you know, uh, a fundamental sector. So even though, you know, several occasions, both um, Toro Maposa and Gwede Mentasha has indicated that, you know, communities are really important factors. How this translates on the ground is very, very different. Um, if you would just give me the opportunity to uh, explain some of the experiences of women in communities in particular, sure. I think that it's you know, quite damning, man. Um, so while we're doing the social uh, audit, we want to ascertain what the gendered impacts of mining are. And so within Palau, uh, which is a community um, very close to Oahu, and who are you know, surrounded by you know, massive coal mining operations, uh, that particular survey only looked at women. Uh, only women conducted the survey, community activists. But when they went door to door, they only you know, specifically spoke to women. And these are just some like, really key highlights of what was found. 40% of the women indicated that jobs at the mines are only accessible through sexual favors. 73% of women indicated that they received no benefits, or all of the women in the community experienced extensive forms of violence, such as rape, murder, and other forms of abuse. Now, of that, 85% of women linked the increase in violence to the development of mining in the area. That's, you know, in a country where you have such high levels of gender-based violence, 
um, you know, that's quite stuck. And, you know, earlier you mentioned uh, the MPRDA, the Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act, and uh, the Mining Charter. But if you look at the MPRDA, right, uh, it pays a lot of attention to a broad category of historically disadvantaged persons. Women are broadly omitted from special consideration. Now, if we look at, you know, the fact that there's general agreement within government and civil society that women are generally and specifically oppressed and discriminated against in this country. Uh, and you take, you know, there's very serious omission within a, a legislation specifically dealing with a sector that is dominantly framed, um, you know, by patriarchy, exploitiveness, and has historically entrenched unequal social and economic relations. This is Quite problematic. Yeah, I mean, mining mining chapter three doesn't even really make re- you know any reference to gender, and specifically with reference to women and girls. Are we? at least getting to a point where we can have that conversation. I know, as you said, Mining Charter 3 doesn't necessarily even mention, for example, women and the effect thereof as well. Can we at least start having those sorts of conversations? Yes, they've got the the, the community back for with regards to that 10% uh, as well with regards to the, the charter. But is it something that we can now say to ourselves, this is how it is and this is how we need to move forward because we've settled one element which should bring some sense of stability. Now another element gets brought in. We need to make sure that that comes in uh, and you know very quickly and also with clarity. Um, look, I don't think there's political war um, in order to do that. I think that uh, mining-affected communities have been deliberately excluded uh, from decision-making that directly impacts them. And whenever you have a system like that, uh, it's not going to yield any form of, inequali- uh, of equality. Mm. Often it just exacerbates the existing inequalities. And that's what this report shows, right? So unless there is political will to recognize communities as impacted and affected stakeholders who have the right uh, to, you know, in, in decisions that impact them, then no, I don't think it's going to change. Um, communities and uh, mining affected communities have, you know, created their own charters, the people's mining charters, which is an alternative that is quite sustainable, and yet government does not recognize it. They know about it. They know about Mining Affected Communities United in Action, which is, you know, uh, a movement. And yet, uh, you know, it really doesn't fundamentally take their consideration seriously other than offering lip service. So that's, that's my fear. Sure. All right. Well, it, it, it's a difficult conversation, but one that certainly needs to be had. Why do you feel, you know, we're perhaps still sticking to the old guard, the old ways of doing things? It's a, it's an economy that continues to have to, you know, aid South Africa in any ways. Communities are perhaps extremely reliant on, on this sort of thing. And yet we, you know, as you said, aren't benefiting them. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the, the crux of the question, right? Um, and it has to do with systems of power. So there's a few people that benefit from this, you know, very biased system. 
And that is often mining companies and corrupt governments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're yielding so much of benefit and so much of profit, you're very, you wouldn't very easily relinquish that. And that's what I think is happening in South Africa. I think that's what the research points to as well, um, that there's a very unequal power system, and those that are in power want to obviously maintain it. Mm. So, you know, this gender bias and pro-receipt bias, which shows, you know, um, a flawed benefit cost within the extractive project, will never adequately be addressed if they, you know, um, and will continue to disproportionately oppress women and vulnerable communities unless the sector is fundamentally transformed. Um, and my reading of it goes within Mining Charter 3 and the current legislation. There is no substantive wanting or political will to see that being realized. Mm. Well certainly hope that the conversation changes, that the mindset changes, that the political will, as you mentioned, Fatima, really, really does change. We need to get that sorted. We need to get that done in order to make it a more inclusive economy as well, and perhaps one more beneficial to not just the mining companies, but those communities as well. Fatima Valley, appreciate your time. Mining and Extractives Project Manager at Action Aid South Africa. 740, your traffic.